so great to see um, most of you back. Um, hi, Miss Sherry and the camera. <laughs> um, and to those who are still listening at home and are unable to, we do miss you and can't wait to have you back again. Um, as a reminder, um, there is a membership meeting today following service. And I believe that's the only announcement. So, Mr. Ron Beck, back. I was going to say, Mr. Ron Beck, now. welcome back. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> we will open us up in prayer. Absolutely. Lord, Father, it's good to be in your house again, Lord. Uh, thank you, Father, for the healing and the protection you've provided uh, this body in the weeks past. Lord, uh, we rest easy knowing that you continue to, to give us that protection and uh, comfort us in our time of need. Father, thank you for uh, uh, the ability to come here and to sing blessings to you, or uh, I'm sorry, Lord, uh, praises to you, Lord. Father, I pray for the message today that um, the speaker would speak boldly and with conviction and uh, would just bring to us the message that you've laid on their hearts today, Lord. Please be with all those at home. Bless them, heal them, take care of them. Um, bring us all back into your house of worship at the appointed time, Lord. And um, I can't wait till we're a, a body unified again. Thank you, Father. Bless this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Christmas is just around the corner. Thanksgiving, I hope, is upon us. It began not long after Jesus was born, uh, or maybe uh, once you got old enough to understand, maybe. And we are, thank God, because we are, while we are living in interesting times, which can be a curse or a blessing, uh, we are living in interesting times. We are blessed to be where we are right now, able to work, able to be part of the kingdom, able to share the gospel, able to pray for one another, able to lift each other up, able to encourage one another and encourage our family and friends. And that option is not available to so many. So we are grateful, and I hope that you're thankful. I hope that I had a good Thanksgiving, although I'm sure it was quite odd uh, in some way or another, even if it was because you, you maybe you did all the normal things that you do, but just had a, in your mind or thoughts that you had to deal with concerning COVID or whatever. We did not really have Thanksgiving the way we normally do uh, at our house, and said we're doing it next week. <laughs> so we postponed it for a week. And so uh, most of most all of the adults in our family will now be uh, immune to COVID for a few months. And so uh, we will not let our guards down, but we will not also have to worry about it. So that's nice. Um, but that being said, we did still have some youngins who have not had it or had not ever gotten symptoms. And so they are not able to be here today and they're not able to be at Thanksgiving dinner. And so we put that off until next week. But uh, I did, and I think a couple other people did, had a very nice steak on Thanksgiving. And I was very, very blessed to have it. And we praise the Lord for it. So we come to that moment in time where we ask ourselves, how has the Lord been speaking? Um, I hope those of you who have come to, on, on Tuesday nights have been working on that Bible study. I want to tell you that that Bible study has been extremely meaningful, meaningful for me this week. And if you are not able to make it, um, but you want a copy of the book to do the Bible study on your own, there are a couple of copies available. Um, hey, it's not the time. Thank you. Okay. Anyway, and so we just ask uh, that you uh, let us know, and we'll get that for you. Or if you just want some of the Bible studies for mean purposes, you know, we have permission to photocopy out of that book, and you just want some pages to do, then that would be fine too. But that's been extremely meaningful for me for this week, as well as some of my prayer times and things. And so, how has the Lord been speaking to you? What would you like to share with us today? And you say, well, maybe God shared something with you, but it wasn't really, you know, you don't know that it's meant for anybody else. But sometimes when you share what was only meant for you, understand that how you heard it or what God said may speak to somebody else just as powerfully as the message would. And so, what have you heard this week? What do you got? I will not, I will not tarry a long time because I feel like the message is going to be really something awesome. I'm super excited to get to it today. All right. Hi, Ray Joe. How to be? See you looking. So it'll get boring, she's going to be good. <laughs> so it starts to get to be too boring for her. Anybody? Did you read your Bibles this week? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to commit ourselves, we're going to pray, to read your Bible, pray, talk to God, listen to what God would have to say, and come next week ready to share with what God has shared with you. And if we spend an hour doing inspirational moment next time, then, then I, I won't preach or I'll do just a shortened sermon or whatever we have to do, but we need to be hearing from God. If you are busy doing something in your life, and that something is not about God or hearing from God, then you just need to cut it out. Just stop watching TV and start reading the Bible instead. I did see it. I see your hand in one second. Okay? So I encourage you to do that. 
this coming week and be prepared. And then Mary Kay, raise your hand. What do you got? Um, I listened to your sermon from last week, last night. Oh, cool. It really touched me, and it kind of woke me up to a lot of things. Um, uh, just very deeply, and I needed that. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes. That God can use even a fool like me. God is good. He is so good. All right. And, and if you don't understand what she's talking about, how she pulled that off, you can listen to the sermons uh, on podcasts. So uh, I'm not saying that's an excuse to not be here by any means, but if you can't for some reason, you can get those on podcasts. And we were running behind while, when I was uh, sick and so on, but we were caught up. 200 and, uh, I'm going to mess it up, it's like 204 podcasts, which means our services or Life Station services. We podcasted a couple of Bible studies that we did that were pretty cool during right during the stay-at-home order and things like that. So 204 different messages that are on that podcast website. So you literally could, you could go without TV for an entire week and just listen to New Heights Fellowship and hear Brother Josh up there singing those songs and it would just be absolutely crazy to do something like that. But you, you could do it if you wanted to. And um, take the Yes FM challenge, but take it with the New Heights podcast. And just only all, all New Heights podcasts all the time. That'd be a little weird, but you can do it. All right, so let me encourage you to be in the Word. And then for next week, we're coming back next week. And I, wanna, I, I would like you to say, okay, this is what I read. This is what it meant to me. Or this is what I heard. This is what it meant to me. Or this is what God said. And this is all ages. And I'm going to encourage our young people that are not here right now. And I'll encourage my wife, and she's probably getting encouraged even as I'm speaking right now. She's going, oh boy, put me on the spot. But we're going to come next week prepared to share. And uh, there is no greater way that a person can give thanks to our God than sharing what God has said to them or how their experience with God. Because that example, that teaching will help people more than, than we know. Okay, God can use it. All right, so we're going to pray then, and we will uh, have our tithes and offerings, and we'll have a little more worship, and we're going to the Word before long. And we are um, focusing on God during this time, so we're not going to be uh, distracted by what's on going on out in the world. We're not going to be distracted by our phones, unless our phone is on our Bible. We're going to be focused on what God would have us to do. And when we get there, in just a, in just a few songs, the kids are going to go out and have a lesson. Uh, they haven't been able to do that the last couple of weeks, and so they're going to go out and do that. And Arden is super ready, and Mary Kay is going to go and help, and, and um, it's going to be fun for them. Uh, it's going to be fun for us, too. And it's all going to be about God. Okay? All right. Well, let's pray together. And this is us praying together. And then we'll have a little more worship. Father God, you have given us an amazing list of things. Count your blessing. Count them one by one. God, that would be impossible. We could get a start at it. We could start on the list. We could think about the many things that you have blessed us with. And it might change our attitude. It might redirect our actions to realize that we truly are blessed. We have so much going on. We are touched by your generosity. Lord, we also know that you are merciful and kind toward us because we don't deserve half of what you give us and we don't deserve your protection. Um, Lord, it's not that we're bad people. Uh, Maybe it's more that all people are bad people in some way or another. But because of your loving kindness and your mercy and grace, you have protected us. You have provided for us. You have given us a purpose. You have given us authority to carry out that purpose on this earth. And we can only praise you. The songs that we sing, it's funny how 
the Christmas songs, the ones that have been around year after year after year after year, we can sing them with more authority, more boldness. And it, it's a reminder. It's not subtle at all. It's a reminder very much that the things that we do over and over again, the things that we meditate on, the things that we think about over and over again, the things that we sing over and over again, they get ingrained in us. And so, Lord, uh, please help us now to have that attitude about your word, have that attitude about your work, so that we can be about our every day, about doing what you would have us to do, about hearing what you would have us to hear, not just with our ears. I know for some of our young, our little kids, they have a hard time because they, they really only hear with their ears, and they don't... They don't really understand what it means to hear you in their heart, hear uh, in their soul. And so, Lord, you are the one that can show them that. You are the one that can show us that. And we're trusting you with it today. I ask you for our sick and our wounded, for they are still a number. And you have already uh, intervened uh, what, what could be considered miraculously in the lives of so many. And so we are asking you to do the same. I thank you that Pastor Charles is back home with his family after being stranded out of town, um, and most people don't even know who he is. And I, I ask you, Lord, to bless our, our unborn child that's in our midst, and our youngest who, that's in our midst, which would be Rayleigh Joe, Lord, that they would be able to live and grow and, and become strong in a Christian environment, that we as a church would stand up and represent you well and let them see us. And yeah, They're going to have a lot of fun along the way, but help them to learn along the way also that the fun that we have here it is not even a, a, an inkling of how awesome it's going to be in your presence for an eternity. Help us praise you. Bless the tithes and offerings. Multiply. Spread them. We're not about the money. Lord, we don't want to be about the money. A lot of people got in a lot of trouble being about the money. But it's your money. And we want to tithe faithfully and give above and beyond the tithe so that, so that we can demonstrate as a discipline, I guess, as a, an exercise to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we know that that's your money. 100% of it is your money. And so we just ask you, Lord, to take it, multiply it, make it work here in Toledo to reach the lost, but really across the world. We're grateful to be giving commissions all over the world and uh, spreading the gospel. And whatever else you want to do, God, your will, not our will, be done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. He is the God of rules.
dismissed. Pardon, you're in charge. Mary Kay, you're in charge. Have at him. In anticipation of this text, I want to tell you a brief story from my childhood. Uh, I was almost 12 years old, and so you can kind of relate. You're a little older than that now, but you remember very closely what that was like, and some of you do. And um, my brother and I came home. We were driving my brother's old um, Nova, the car that wouldn't wouldn't sell in Mexico because it means does not go. Um, but he drove it, and it went. It was a good, good car for him. He took it to a paint job place, Ron. That you have sympathy with this, I think, and Chris. And he took it there, and he was getting it completely refinished. And um, they kept it for so long; it was like a week and a half, even though the, he was getting the car repainted and stuff. That he eventually said, "Why can't I get my car back?" And they and they kept putting him off. So he went and picked it up, and it looked fine when he picked it up. And like the next day or two days later, the paint began to get real chalky on it, and they hadn't finished it. And, um, and he drove that car until it died looking like that. And so we drive home in that car, pull into our driveway at the house that I now live in, and my mom is inside packing a bag. She's in the bedroom with the door open, and we weren't normally allowed to go in her bedroom, but she's in there with the door open, and she's packing a suitcase. And I didn't know we were going anywhere, and actually my brother had a choir concert that evening, and so there was no, we didn't have any understanding we were going anywhere, and so I went and I said, what's going on? And she said, well, I'm leaving. She said, I called a cab, and I'm out of here. Uh, your dad and I are through. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Going to be one of the statistics now. And I walked out of the room very upset, and then I wound up walking right back in the room and tell, giving her a piece of my mind, explaining to her why I didn't think that she should be leaving. And my brother was like, well, you can't talk to mom that way. And, uh, and I said, but I can't stand by and do nothing either. And I didn't know what to do. And... And she basically told me that, you know, I was just a kid and I didn't have no right to talk back to her and that, and that I didn't understand what was going on between her and my dad and she was leaving. And she walked out the door with the suitcase and she went and stood on the corner by my house at the telephone pole waiting for the taxi cab to arrive, or that's what I thought was going on anyway. And my brother and I shortly had to leave for the concert so he wouldn't be late. Uh, he had a lead, sing, lead position singing in the choir concert that evening and it was like getting real close to time when he was supposed to be in his seat. And... And I wanted to stay, but I wanted to go, but I wanted my dad. What I really wanted was for my dad to come home. And I was thinking to myself, this was my, my conundrum. I was thinking to myself, I really want my dad to come because my dad is the only person who can solve this. But at the same time, my mom was so mad at my dad that I knew that if my dad came, it probably wasn't going to be solved. It was probably actually going to get worse. That it was going to get really ugly. And then at the same time, we had to leave, or I was supposed to leave. I was supposed to be going with him, and I wasn't, at that time, I wasn't allowed to stay home alone um, for a variety of other reasons and have nothing to do with my age. But anyway, I wasn't allowed to stay home alone, so I either had to go to, with her in the taxi cab, which she wasn't allowing, or I had to go with him to the choir concert, which was what was scheduled. And, um, 
And of course, if I did go with her, then I would be leaving my dad, and I didn't want to do that. And so I just kept thinking to myself, I really want my dad to come, but at the same time, I was in fear of if he did come, what that would actually look like. You follow? All right, so I want you to bear that thought in mind then, that friction that was taking place in my heart as we look at the text today. And um, this is a little bit uh, more in sort of the series of waiting on Jesus, but we're, in this case, Isaiah is going to talk about some things that would happen when Jesus would come and some things that would happen after he came, okay? And so, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles. I hope you're following along. If you're out there and you're watching on your phone, you may not be able to use your electronic Bible. You might have to rush around the house right now and find a paper Bible so that you can look up Isaiah chapter 11. Amen. Now, that's barely an amen, a hoot and a holler. Some people were distracted, um, but I'm in it. This is God's Word, and here we go. Isaiah 11, and we're beginning in verse 1. So if you find Isaiah 11, you're there. Okay? Isaiah 11, beginning verse 1. And we're only reading the verse 5 verses, but I will tell you that we're going to use several other texts by the time we're done. So we're not going to be done uh, just with these five verses. All right? So here we go. Verse 1, Isaiah 11. Now, I'll try to point out the slight differences in translation as we go past them because there are some differences. But if I don't get it, um, it, if I don't mention it to you, just to understand that overall the translation is the same, but there are a couple of words in Hebrew that have such broad meaning, I'm going to try to explain them as we go over them, okay? All right, verse 1 says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse. Now, you may or may not know who Jesse was. Jesse was David's father. David had a promise to have an eternal king on the throne. And so the shoot would spring forth from the stem of Jesse means that someone would come out of the line of Jesse. Okay? The word shoot there is a very kind of broad word in the original language. So it could say rod or it could say branch. If it says rod, and some translations have rod there, then that's kind of cool because it's a sort of a subliminal reference to a ruler or authority, right? So it could be a rod that would come out of the stem of Jesse or the branch of Jesse. But the bottom line is it's going to come out of the line of Jesse, Okay, so he's talking about the Messiah, the anointed one, come out of the line of Jesse. And then he says, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And so from the, uh, from the line of Jesse comes this rod or branch, and then out of that, fruit will be born. It'll be great growth. Now, we're pretty far down the line, but we are some of the fruit, we are some of the fruit of that, that, that branch bore, or that rod bore, Okay. And then verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And you might hear in that phrase, rest on him, that you might think of Jesus' baptism, how the dove drifted down, but it wasn't a dove. It was the Holy Spirit, like a dove, drifted down and settled on Jesus. And in your translation, the S is probably capitalized, and this is a reference to the Holy Spirit of God, who would rest on the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was coming, that Isaiah was looking forward to, that all of the devout Jews were looking forward to. But then he goes on to say, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And that S is a little S. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so there is a, a thing about a person that they can have that, is, that gives them or that imbues them with wisdom and understanding. And I'll talk about that one second. The spirit of counsel and strength. So counsel is like advice or wise. In our translations, it would be a wise advice. And strength or might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And those are two separate things. So all of those spirits are lesser spirits. Okay, now don't think evil spirits or angels, but it's an idea like the spirit of a man has these things sometimes. 
And then it says the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And those are two different things. So it is not the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Okay? So breaking those down real quick, just to make sure we understand them, where it says the spirit of wisdom, that's a Hebrew word which is uh, hokmah, which is kind of a fun word. And it means like skill in war or wisdom in administration, so like managing resources, or shrewdness, like cleverness to figure out problems, wisdom or prudence in religious affairs, wisdom in ethical and religious ways. And so literally this could be any kind of wisdom, any or every kind of wisdom. He used that word on purpose to show that wisdom will be with the Messiah, right? The spirit of wisdom. But then understanding comes... And this understanding is discernment. It's the ability to sort one thing from another, to figure out what's right. And it's sort of personified. So when we say somebody has understanding, we say they understand, they have a trait that they understand. Right? That's their trait. They understand. And that, this word is like that. It says that he has the trait of understanding things, if you will. And then where it says the spirit of counsel, that word there is etzah, and it means... Um, the, the right direction, and it implies plan or purpose. And so if a person has the spirit of counsel, meaning they know how to get where they're trying to get to. So this would be like if you're trying to get somewhere and you say to somebody, how do I get there? And that person has exactly the right answer. The Messiah would be like that. He would know exactly how to get there. And this implies the plan or purpose. So it isn't just how to get where you think you want to get, but how to get where you really need to get. So you might say, well, how do I get to the Kroger's on Central Avenue? And I might say, well, do you really want to go to the Kroger's on Central Avenue? Because there's one right over here that's like five, six minutes away. And you go, whoa, what? There's a Kroger's fire. Why would I drive all the way to Central Avenue? I can go right here, right? And, you would, and your problem is solved. You're, you're going to go way out of your way. And this person is saying, no, this is really how you want to get there. And that's what it means when it talks about the Messiah would have understanding. And uh, I'm sorry, it would have counsel. And then a spirit of strength. And this strength is might, but it's valor, like courage, and bravery. And it is the kind of thing that does the mighty deeds of God. Specifically, when you see the mighty deeds of God talked about, this word comes up sometimes. It's the, the power or the strength to do the mighty deeds of God. And then when you see the spirit of knowledge, that's da-ath. And this is simply perception, knowledge, uh, skill and discernment, understanding or wisdom. So it's kind of like all of the other things. So we could get wrapped up in the semantics and say there's knowledge, there's understanding, and there's wisdom. And knowledge would be knowing. Understanding would be being able to figure out what that knowledge is. And wisdom would be being able to put it into place or apply it, right? And in our general terms, those, they, they mean those things. But that's not what they mean here. I've just explained to you basically what they mean. The wisdom is sort of like in every possible case, the understanding is more, and, and counsel are more along the lines of getting where you're actually trying to get, discernment, sorting things out. And then when he says knowledge, that's an overarching word that means all of the above. Okay, And of course, the strength is the ability to do the mighty deeds of God. Then that brings us to verse 3. And it says, And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Which is a much more powerful statement than we give credit for. Think about it. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. So you delight when your desires are met. What is it that you want? Do you want money? Do you want fame? 
You want somebody to be nice to you or nice to you in a very specific certain way? What is it that you want? If you get what you want, you delight in it. Okay? And what he's saying about the Messiah is that the Messiah would delight in the fear of the Lord, which, instill, which tells us that in the fear of God alone, we can find delight. If he can do it and he does do it, then we can do it. We can find delight in fearing God above all other things, right? And it says, and he will not judge by what his eyes see. All right? So you see, you have eyes, your eyes get older, whatever, you need glasses, that kind of thing. You see, some people are blind, and this actually comes as great comfort to people who are blind. But he will not judge. He doesn't make his decisions based on that. With all that wisdom, counsel, knowledge, strength, understanding, and the fear of the Lord, he is not going to make his decisions based on what his eyes see. Okay? And we should, as Christians and followers of Jesus, then learn to interpret world events by factors in the spiritual realm which are not evident to human fleshly eyes. Okay? And then it says... He said, it says, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. Okay? And so in other words, you don't, you don't listen to somebody's testimony. You don't listen to the facts or a list of concerns or anything like that and then judge based on that. You can totally rule out the problems that arise out of gossip and slander, for example, if you make no judgments based on what you hear. And the Messiah will not do that. He will not make a decision based by what his ears hear. Here. And then it says, but with righteousness he will judge the poor. So, rightly, correctly, he will judge the poor. And I would submit to you that that means by their hearts. But when you say the poor, we're talking about people who are abandoned, people who are marginalized by the rest of society. And God will rightly judge their circumstances. And you can surely see that in the story of Lazarus and the rich man where Lazarus gets everything in the afterlife and the rich man gets hell. Right? And so he looked at Lazarus' heart. And it says, And he will decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. In other words, he will fairly judge the people that are in harm's way and he will judge them by their hearts, not by their circumstances. And it says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And this is a very powerful statement, meaning Jesus would speak things that would strike the earth. And that means all the people of the earth, not the world system. That's another thing. Okay? But it says that he would strike the world with his authority. And it says, and with the breath of his lips... It goes on, and that's just sort of stepping it up. It's still talking about his commands, his talking, the things he would speak and say. He would slay the wicked. The Messiah would strike the death blow with his teaching and his commands, or by his command. That's what Isaiah is saying. And then it says also, also righteousness will be the belt about his loins. And a belt is a very significant thing. He would be held. He would be protected. He would wear and have inherent connection to righteousness. And then finally it says, and faithfulness, the belt about his waist. Okay? And so, the faithfulness then is, is what everything else hangs on. The sword hangs on your belt and actually a lot of armor, the lower armor actually hangs on your belt and the middle armor is supported by your belt and it's what all keeps everything in place. And so the faithfulness is the trait upon which all else hangs. Okay, so first of all, we're gonna, I just want to show you a little objects lesson. I got it kind of set up up here, right? And so I have here a stack of plates. These are actual 
actual plates. Okay. Now, first of all, before I do this, does anybody need four free plates? Because I have here four free plates. Does anybody need four? These are these are nice. They're not fancy in any way. They're just normal. Okay. So, so the concept that of of striking, if you will, that is pictured in the text that we just read is is pretty plain, isn't it? It says that his that the Messiah's teaching would strike the world. And so it would be as if I took this hammer and with all my might struck him the whole thing. What do you think would happen? You think every plate would break? Suppose it depends on how hard I hit it, right? Depends on how hard you think I can hit it. Okay? Do you think uh, Brother Ron or Brother Tony, Brother Chris, Mike, or somebody come up here a little stronger than I am? They think they hit it with all their might, they can hit it. Well, what what Isaiah was talking about was that when the Messiah comes, it would be like that. By his commands, by his words, by his presence, he would strike the world. The question is then, when he strikes the world, what happens to the people of the world? And that's what this is all about. Now inside this text where we're looking here, and we're not done with that object lesson, we'll come back to it, but inside this text where we're looking at here, we see a few things that, that Isaiah was saying because of who the Messiah is, we can do. The first one should be kind of plainly obvious. If you're here today and you're a Christian, the things that I'm about to tell you, I, I think you would go, oh yeah, that's cool, I like that. Right? If you're here today and you want to be a Christian, or if you fancy yourself a Christian even though maybe you're not actually a Christian, you've fooled yourself, even so, these things I think you will find pretty cool. And they are, number one, you can find truth. There is truth. Jesus would be about truth. Remember, there was a lot of talk about rightness. There was a lot of talk about not judging things by the way they look, about, by what he hears, and so on. Jesus, and you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but Jesus is truth. The Messiah would be truth. And so you can find truth. You can enjoy redemption. And this is a little tricky. It's hard to be redeemed by God, to be taken care of by God, to be brought out of your dark circumstances and enjoy that without the risk of getting settled where you are. Right? So you're free. You're safe. You're taken care of. Your lies are forgiven. Your your thievery is forgiven. Your adultery is forgiven. Your lust is forgiven, which is basically the same thing. Your murderous intent, all forgiven. And now you're okay. And so you can enjoy your redemption, but in enjoying your redemption, there is a huge caveat. There's a huge thing you got to watch out for, and we'll come back to that. So first of all, you can find truth and enjoy redemption and then walk in victory. Ultimately, it is settled. It is done. That's what Christianity is all about. You could, you could essentially define being a Christian as finding truth, enjoying redemption, and walking in victory. But while you do those things, this text is telling us we have to learn to do something that's very important. That's something that Jesus did. We have to follow His example. I'm going to read to you from the book of John chapter 7. If you want to follow along, please do. We're going to be in John chapter 7 verse 14 to start with. This is one of the passages that I mentioned. And we're going to read a number of verses here. John 7, 14. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. So he's publicly teaching in front of all these people in the temple, probably in Solomon's colonnade, but he could have been anywhere in the temple. The Jews then were astonished, saying... How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Remember how it says that his words would strike them? 
that he's a figure of authority. How? How is he like this when he's never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So in other words, he's talking, I'm not teaching on behalf of myself or my own agenda, but I am teaching God's teaching, God the Father's teaching. He's giving God the credit for the teaching. And then he says, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. In other words, if you want to follow God, if you want to find God, if you want to be part with God, if you want to have that relationship, then you will recognize the teachings for what they are. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. And so he's saying, I'm submitting myself completely to seeking God's glory. And in that, you should know then that you have to decide yes or no to God. Not to me, but yes or no to the Father. That, that your decision as to whether or not to accept the teachings that I am bringing is about your decision, yes or no to God. Not yes or no to me. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? See that one of the big complaints they had against him was that he worked on the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. That was considered a work. So he's saying, if you'll circumcise on the Sabbath, how can you be against me because I healed an entire man on the Sabbath? And then in 24, and this will be key compared to what we're reading out of Isaiah, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Don't judge the way it looks, but judge the way it actually is. Don't judge the way it actually is even in your mind's eye. But judge the way God says it is. What God wants. God's heart. God's mind. God's thought. The kingdom values. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? So after he said, why do you seek to kill me? And they said, well, we're not trying to kill you. You know who's trying to kill you. Then he he taught this, do not judge according to the appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And they said, oh, Actually, isn't this the guy they were seeking to kill? And they recognized him for the guy that they were seeking to kill because of his teaching, asking them to judge not on the appearance, but to judge righteously. Look, he is speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? So they're starting to say, are the rulers actually kind of giving in to his teaching? Are they actually accepting who he is since they're not confronting him right here in front of us as he's teaching these, what they would say are false teachings? However, and they're having this doubt, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. You hear Jesus in this text teaching them to not judge by sight or by hearing, 
but by what's right. To put God's values first. We have a lot of people who claim the name of Christ who do not put God's values first, do not rightly judge the circumstance. And it is possible to learn to judge not based on what you see or what you hear, but by what is right. Judge with righteous judgment like Jesus did. In fact, you can use the same standard that Jesus used. It takes some work sometimes to get there. It takes some submission, if you will. But if you look in Romans 12, beginning in verse 1, the first two verses are passages you might actually be a little bit familiar with. But even if you're not, I'm about to read them. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's just basically saying you take all this and give it back to God. Sacrifice it to God. Let God manage it. Let God be in charge. And he says, and do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't let the world push you into a certain shape, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, and that prove is to test. So you can test, you can figure out, you can discern what the will of God is, what he really wants, what God really, you, me, I can figure out what God really wants. That's what those verses say. But it goes on. For, or because, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. In other words, you have a certain role that you're supposed to fulfill in the body. Just like a human body has a liver and a heart and a lung or a leg, you have a role you're supposed to fulfill. And now because you are given these gifts to fulfill from God, you should exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts, that means encourages or preaches, in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who, which means do it a lot, if you're a giver and, and you can give, give a lot, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor, that means hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Give preference to one another in honor. That means Christians for Christians over other people. And you're like, that's not fair. Yes, it is. God told us to do it. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. That means burning hot. Wanting to do what's right. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. That means you don't quit when things get tough. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints is giving to the church. Practicing hospitality is going out of your way to make other people feel comfortable. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind. In other words, proud or think you're all that in a bag of chips. But associate with the lowly. In other words, seek out the people that are down and out and lift them up. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. 
For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then finally, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These things take some practice. I get that. They are a lifelong pursuit. I get that. But they are nothing different than what Jesus was asking us to do. To find truth, enjoy redemption, and walk in victory, you need to do this. It's not that complicated. You could actually make yourself a top 10 list of things to do and begin to do those things and figure out how to do those things and you would better exemplify a kingdom servant than otherwise. But instead what we do is we find truth, enjoy redemption, walk, and we have intermittent victory. We do little things here or there. We have some successes. And we want to be excited about our successes. We want to be excited about our growth. But instead of it being an overall systematic, no longer seeing with your eyes, no longer hearing with your ears and judging by those things, but judging by God's standard, instead of that, it becomes hit or miss. Sometimes I'm this. Sometimes I'm that. And that is not what Jesus came for. When I was a young child, I was in kindergarten. In fact, I, I got to go to church just a little bit. In fact, it was the, the longest stretch of my life that I ever went to church uh, until I got to be 25 years old. And that was about five months off and on, hit or miss, every other week or so for about five months. And I, was, um, I went to church the first few times and I kept falling asleep in service uh, with the adults. And so they eventually said, well, I could go to Sunday school, kind of like what we do where the kids go out and they're learning their Bible lesson, they're doing crafts in there today and things like that. And so I, I brought my little Bible to church and I went to Sunday school and they ushered me. We got there late. Uh, my parents were running behind for whatever reason. Got there about 10 minutes after the Sunday school hour uh, was supposed to start. And, and I went in there and I sat down in the uh, classroom and the lady said, got my name and she said, great, okay, we're all jumping into the lesson, just jump right in with us and I jumped right in. And, and in kindergarten I could read and a lot of kids can't do that in kindergarten and I could read from the Bible in kindergarten I was just blessed to be able to do that. And um, so when it came my turn in my Sunday school class, I read from the Bible. And I don't remember where I read from or what I read and, and it didn't necessarily have any real meaning to me. It was definitely one of the like core verses like uh, John 3.16 or something like that. And, um, and I was fine. Then she got to the end of the class and she was basically done. And she said, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and fill out an attendance card for you because you, didn't, you weren't here at the beginning and then we'll get the full card filled out. And she started filling out. And when she filled it out, she got my name and my address. And I struggled with giving her my address. And she thought that was a little odd that I couldn't give her my address. And then she said, okay, well, how old are you? And I told her. And she said, well, what grade are you in? And I told her. And she said, well, you're not even supposed to be in this class. While I was sitting in the class, when I first got there, I was deathly afraid. I was in a new place. I was extremely nervous. I thought, they might ask me to read and I might not be able to do it or find what I'm supposed to or whatever. I was very nervous. And there was a little girl who was probably like in second grade or something and she was sitting next to me and I can almost remember her face and she had long, brown, wavy hair that fell down over her shoulders and her chest and, and she had in front of her on the table a little pile of candies. And there was some soft candy and some hard candy. And um, about maybe 10 minutes into the lesson, she must have noticed uh, that I was eyeing her candy or that I looked afraid or whatever. And she started slipping me pieces of candy. And she gave me a piece of candy corn. And then after two or three pieces of soft candy, she gave me a mint. And she looked at me like, is that okay? And I took the mint, I put it in my mouth, and I was eating the mint. 
And I thought, she's a nice girl. I didn't know her name or anything. I didn't know who she was. But she was making me feel comfortable. She was making me feel like I wasn't out of place by giving, slipping me pieces of candy and smiling at me and whatever. So then when the teacher said to me, you're not even in the right class. You have to leave this room and go over here. I'm like, uh, no, I don't want to leave this girl. Because like, I have to go to another Sunday school class. where It was almost over. And the next week I did wind up in another class. And I never saw that girl ever again. But I didn't want to leave this person who had made me feel comfortable, who had made me enjoy my time in that class. And I didn't want to leave that class and go somewhere else. We find truth and joy redemption, start walking in victory, and then get kind of comfortable with the people that we're with or the things that we're doing or whatever. And we use, we lose our strength because we get tied to the things that are in the place that we're in. But actually what Isaiah was saying and showed us very clearly and Jesus showed us very clearly is that all of your desires can actually be fulfilled in the fear of the Lord. And that's the second point. Yeah, I wanted to have friends and I wanted to have candy because you know who doesn't want candy? And I wanted to somebody to make me feel comfortable and whatever. And the truth is when I went to that next Sunday school class the next week, they did a pretty good job of making me feel comfortable and I wound up going to that class and it was a couple weeks later, but I wound up going to that class like eight or ten times and it was actually more my speed and I had more fun in there than the first class, but I didn't want to leave the first class where one person had reached out to me to make me feel comfortable because my desires were met there. I didn't want to leave there even though over there where I was supposed to be was actually better for me. We have a lot of struggles with desires The love of the money is a huge one. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after it, they they have erred from the faith and pierced, I'm going to say this right, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Talking about Christians. And so in other words, they found truth, enjoyed redemption, and walked in victory just enough to fall in love with money and start worrying about that, either spending it or collecting it or whatever, rather than being focused on God and judging by what is right. And you really can't fault them because we're all stuck with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life as long as we're here. 1 John 2.16, right? But notice that verse says, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And that brings us back around to something very important, isn't it? That Jesus would strike the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those things that we so desperately... I want to feel good about who I am. I want people to go, hey, Dan, I value you as a person. Now, they don't have to say that, but when I'm with somebody, I want them to think that I'm okay. Right? And you want your family to think that you're okay. And you want your friends and your workplace. You want them to think it's just, that's the pride of life. We need to be okay. Or we think we do. In Proverbs 9, beginning in verse 6, there's a passage about fearing the Lord that speaks to this very top, topics. And it says this, Forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. In other words, separate yourself, distance yourself from fools. Right? And rather go in the way of understanding, the way that God would have us to go. 
It says, He that reproveth, reproveth, this is in the King James Version actually, he that reproveth a scorner, in other words, a person who doesn't agree with God, getteth to himself shame. In other words, that person is not going to look up to you when you try to correct them because they don't believe in God. Remember what Jesus said? If you listen to the teachings that I'm teaching you, it's because you want to you hear from God. Right? And so you try to teach somebody about God who's a scorner against God, and it's only going to cause you trouble. And it says, He that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot, or another translation says, a pain. Right? Reprove not a scorner. Don't try to correct somebody who just doesn't want anything to do with God. Lest he hate thee. Rather, rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. In other words, if there's somebody who wants to hear from God, you rebuke that person, they're going to actually be glad to hear it. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord, here it is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For, or because, by me thy days shall be multiplied. Did you catch the change in who's talking there? Now this is God speaking. And God says, by me your days will be multiplied, they will be made many. And the years of thy life shall be increased. They will not only be made many, but they will be made full of stuff. Full of God's stuff. And verse 12 says, If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. In other words, if you would choose the things of God, if you listen to the things of God, then yourself will benefit. Okay? But if thou scornest, in other words, if you will not listen to the things of God, thou alone shalt bear it. You will suffer. You don't have to go and talk to anybody who doesn't want to hear. In fact, here's what you need to do. You start talking to them, and then when it's clear they don't want to hear, stop talking to them about it. But if it's clear they do want to hear, don't stop talking to them about it. Right? You don't have to go and break in on a wicked fool and try to get them to embrace Jesus. But you can present Jesus because they just might not know any better. They just might be ignorant. And and as you present Jesus, they may accept Jesus. They may come to truth. They may begin to enjoy redemption. And they may begin to walk in victory. It is possible. Indeed, having their desires fulfilled. Notice that the world represents the alternative. But the alternative has built into it a reminder that we are not from here. One more text. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, so in other words this, right here, my tent is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. If my body is gone, if it is destroyed by COVID, by a car, by a bullet, if my body is gone, I have a new body prepared for me, a resurrected body prepared for me in God, made by God, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in the house we groan. In other words, there's going to be issues. We have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. See, the mistake is people think the groaning, you can somehow fulfill it, or you can go after money, or you can go after sex, or you can go after drugs, or you can go after words of encouragement, or something like that in this lifetime that will make you feel like your desires are being met. That's the mistake. The groaning is meant to point you to that future home that God is preparing for you. It says in verse 3, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. In other words, if you have accepted what God has to offer for you, if you have embraced God's teaching, then you will not be found naked in that day because God has prepared for you a place, a body, robes. 
For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us, who gave to us the Holy Spirit as a pledge. In other words, if you have received God's Holy Spirit and He testifies in you that you are saved, then you know that you are prepared for this very purpose, to leave this body and go on elsewhere. And God has prepared a place for you and a resurrected body for you. And all the issues, the depression, the struggling, the frustrations, the anger, tribulations that you may face, and the responses that you might want to come up with them, all of those, God prepared us for this very purpose so that we can recognize that they are temporary. And we can go on outside of it. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That should ring a bell with Isaiah 11. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. In other words, all the time that you are living, while your kids are growing up, while gifts are being given to you, while you are receiving words of encouragement, while you are having intimate relations with your significant other, all the time that you are, no matter how good life gets, all that time, you, should, you still need to be in a place where you prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Now you realize how hard that can be. How can you be watching your child walk down the graduation aisle, getting ready to throw off their cap, and in that moment still say, no, I would rather be with the Lord. Well, let me flip that on you for a second. If you can't stand there while they're about to throw off their hat, if you can't be picking up your little child, if you can't be spending money or you can't be receiving gifts or words of encouragement, and in that moment still rather be with God than be where you are, you've got a problem. You've got the same problem that the world has. Just a couple verses there real quick. It says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. This is the problem. We don't have 24 hours a day a desire to be pleasing to Him because we don't have 24 hours a day a recognition that the things of this earth are not better than the things to come. We have so embraced them, so become entrenched, so become connected that we are like the world in complacency. Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The world presents the alternative, but the alternative has built into it a reminder that we are not from here. This is not our home. We must not live by the laws of this place, but by the laws of our home. So first of all, you can find truth, you can enjoy redemption, and you can walk in victory. But you must realize along the way that all the desires that you have, all the fleshly desires, all the psychological, emotional, spiritual, and physical desires, all the desires that you have are best fulfilled in the fear of the Lord. And then the third point. Notice in this text, specifically in verse 4, that the world would be struck. I hope you saw that. By the mouth of Jesus, the world would be struck. But also notice that though the world would be struck, 
It is only the wicked that would be slain. Did you see it? In verse 4, it says, the world would be struck. But it says, in the second half of the verse, the wicked would be slain. Interesting. I suppose you're familiar with, in some, to some extent, John 3.16, right? Where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? And we always think about that in the context of God loves the whole world, even those who will not follow Him, right? And that's true. God loves the whole world, even those who will not follow Him. And because of that, He sent His only begotten Son so that whoever that is in the world who would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. Understand that the wicked are a plague on the world. The truth is you and I are in the world. We are not of the world if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and are following Him, but we are in the world. And the wicked are a plague to the world. The sacrifice of Jesus so strikes the world that the world must lose its grip on those among it who will recognize God. Are you one? Moreover, the people of the world are so struck that if they would or should believe in Jesus, they can believe in the plight that they are in and their need for Jesus. The role of the evangelist is not one of bearing bad news that the world is on terrible ground or desperately wounded, but good news that an escape is offered. That's what it's all about. But the world is still struck and the wicked will still be destroyed. Your job is not to free the wicked. Your job is to free those who would allow themselves to be freed And the wicked will remain and be destroyed. That's what was ordained at the coming of Jesus. An ancient uh, general philosopher guy, Sun Tzu, wrote something called The Art of War. Its copyright has long been broken. So you can get it in all kinds of various ways. In there, there's a thing where he describes various kinds of lands. Places of fighting, basically. Places where you might need to fight. And one of them is a position from which there is no retreat. And it's called desperate ground, or some people call it killing ground. It's described as if if you advanced into a position through narrow passageways, had to walk your horses or camels and break down and carry your chariots, so there's no quick way out, got there, found out that there's a mountain on your right-hand side, a river on your left-hand side, and broken terrain directly ahead of you, and the enemy is surrounding you. So you literally have nowhere to go. There is nowhere to retreat. And what Sun Tzu says you do in that case is fight and fight with all your might. Because you might by some chance break out onto another kind of ground. A ground that you can escape from. A ground that you can retreat from. A ground that you can fight more proficiently. Right? But if you stay there on desperate killing ground and you do not fight, you will simply be completely and utterly eradicated, destroyed. There will be nothing left of your armies because they will, over a period of time, pick you off one by one. 
They will destroy you completely. That is the place of the world. And what you see is those who realize that they are on desperate or killing ground, they are fighting. They are wicked. They are nasty. They despise God. They speak out against God. They will attack Christians whenever they can. They are fighting back against God. What else are they going to do? If they stay where they are, they're just going to be destroyed and have no effect whatsoever. But amongst the same people in the world on desperate ground are people who realize that there might, just might, be hope of a way out. And they will listen to what God has to say. And they will listen to the entreaty of Jesus. Notice John 14, 6, a verse that is also commonly quoted in Christianity. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I once quoted that verse to a gentleman who was an atheist at the time. And, uh, and I said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but uh, through me. And he says, yeah, well, that's what he would say, isn't it? If he claims to be from God, then of course he's going to say that no one can come to God except through him. It's a very self-serving verse. You see, you can twist John 14, 6 if you need to. And those who are lost and wicked and against God, that's what they're doing. And John 14, 6 sounds like the pronunciation of a trap. Hear me now. If you won't come to God through me, you won't come to God at all. I got you now. You're stuck. You will have to come to me. Because if you won't come to God through me, you will not come to God at all. It sounds like the pronunciation of a trap. If you are against coming to Christ. But actually, it is the pronunciation of an escape for those who are willing to come to Christ. If Jesus said... Instead of, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one cometh unto the Father through me, if he just simply said, no no one cometh unto the Father, period, then it's all over. That would be the trap. That would be the desperate killing ground. And then we all ought to just fight back the best we can against God because we will in the end all be destroyed. But that is not what he said. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. In other words, you're not going to make it, but I have provided a way for you to make it. You can do this. Join me. There is actually one avenue of escape, he said. When the world is struck, this is how. They are looking for sustenance in other places and Jesus showed clearly that there is none and we come to the conclusion. Real quick, Isaiah was pointing out that after the impact of Jesus, you can find truth, enjoy redemption and walk in victory. Secondly, he said, be very, very careful because the ultimate fulfilling of all desires is not found in you scraping for this or that or searching out this or that or judging by your eyes or your ears, but rather it is found in Fulfillment in fearing the Lord. Everything you have ever wanted is found in loving God, respecting God, and doing it God's way. If you have something that you think helps you and it is not of God, abandon it as foolish because it doesn't help you be closer to God. So all it is then is the world's alternative. Notice then that the world would be struck, but only the wicked would be slain. Remember the object lesson of the plates. We strike the plates as hard as we possibly can, and in a stack of plates would normally naturally shatter, right? In the midst of this stack of plates, 
my favorite all-time probe distance disc driver. It's the first one I ever bought, and I like it very much. Now this, this, this disc driver is made of a thick and dense rubber. And I submit to you that while it is in the midst of the stack of these plates, if I strike these plates, that disc driver is not going to break. It's not brittle. It's not crunchy. It has flexibility to it. But as all dense rubber will, it will readily transfer the force and the plates below it will just as readily break. No matter how high the stack. Might require Brother Tony or Brother Mike to come up here to hit it. But one clean strike and all of these plates will break. They won't all break at the same rate. They won't all break into the same number of pieces. But they will all shatter because they are brittle and that's their nature. And that's the nature of the world. And no matter how many plates I stack, and probably, I'm guessing, no matter how hard somebody would swing this sledgehammer or even a 50-pound sledge, that driver in the middle of that stack, it's not going to break. Because it isn't like a plate. It's different. So with all this in mind, that you can find truth, you can enjoy redemption, and you can walk in victory, but you got to be careful because your desires are truly fulfilled in the fear of the Lord, not in anything else that the world has to offer, or even in that victory that, as you walk it. And noticing that the world will be struck, but it will be the wicked that will be slain because of the way they are unwilling to embrace God. The way they are embracing the things of the world. What do we do? So, out of all of this, what are we being called to do? And it comes to this. You and I and our church and churches who believe in God and want to be with God in eternity need to do one thing, and it will result in a lot of things, but it's one thing, and that is we need to get back to pilgriming. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to illustrate. I'm not going to go there and read it. I'm going to illustrate it from a text that we might be, uh, we did study it very thoroughly back in, when we went through the book of Joshua. It comes from Joshua chapter 3. And the Israelites have come to not long before they are to go into the promised land and they are camping at a place called Shittim. And Joshua calls them, first God tells him to, and then Joshua calls them to pack up everything and to move near the Jordan. Now you may or may not read, Remember that Shittim is less than, considerably less, maybe just hours of a walk away from the Jordan. And the question that we asked at that time and the question that applies to what we're talking about today is why did they need to pack up in Shittim, walk three hours, and then camp on the shore of the Jordan? Why couldn't they just pack up in Shittim and then go to the shore of the Jordan and then God organize them appropriately and then the priests walk across and as their feet touch the water it breaks and they can go through. Why? Why did they need to pack up and ship them and then go and camp just a few hours away? Well the answer is that they were in Shittim for weeks, possibly months. They had given up their mobility. They were no longer pilgrims moving from the wilderness into the promised land. They had become settled. And they needed to get mobile again. Not only that then, I submit to you, goes one step further because when they went to move out, you may recall, 
that they all had to organize themselves in a way in which they could see the ark and they could all follow the ark across the water and the priests across the water because it's, Joshua told them that we, they were going to be taken down a path down which they had never gone. Now these are nomads and gatherers camped just a few miles away from there. I submit to you there were no paths down which they had never gone. Not logistically speaking, anyway. They had, done, they had been through every one of those paths, looking for every animal, overturning every rock, searching every cave. They knew that area like the back of their hand. And then yet, in the midst of that, in the midst of knowing that area like the back of their hand, Joshua said, God is going to take us down a path that we have never been down. We need to get back to pilgrimage. We must break camp again today and be ready to move. Jesus might be coming sooner than you think. That's his, one of his very solid traits. He will come when many, even some, who claim the name, because he says, not all who say unto me, Lord, Lord, shall be saved. Even those who followed Jesus... When he comes, many of them who profess to follow Jesus will not go with him. And what will be their trait? What will be their nature? They, like the world, will be entranced or even mildly connected to things of the world. They will be seeking to fulfill their desires in some way outside God. They will be judging by what they see. I submit to you, Jesus may come dressed as a Jedi. He may come dressed as a baby Yoda. He may come dressed as a pumpkin. He may come dressed as Schultz himself, come back to life. He may be Elijah on a flaming chariot, or he might be Hulk Hogan. It doesn't matter what he looks like, because if you know him, you will know him. If you are judging your life by what is right, by what is godly and what God has given you, then you will know Him personally. And you will not judge by your eyes, nor by your ears, but your heart and the Holy Spirit of God. And you will say, now is the time. This is He. Will you go? And you will say, yes, I will go. But if you are entranced, if you are stuck in the world, too busy preparing for retirement or too busy trying to raise your kids or too busy trying to be okay or too busy trying to be encouraged. If you're actively involved in a very important conversation with somebody and you just think this might be the moment in time at which you're able to persuade them or you just might get them to say something about you that will make you feel a certain way. If you're actively involved in anything that will restrain you from immediately saying, okay, I'm ready to go then you will be just like the world. And when that hammer comes down, you will break just like they will. Because God will say, you were not mine. You were amongst the wicked. We must not be complacent. We must remember, we are pilgrims here. This is the very thing that the wicked will not do. Upon hearing the teaching of Christ, upon hearing the appeal of God, they will not say, okay, I'm ready. And as Christians, that is what we must do. I I am fearful for our people, not just in our church, but in the church as a whole, because sometimes when the word is being spoken, there are still people whose heads are down or their phones are up or their minds are elsewhere. It's God's word. It's God's Bible. Sometimes when God's service needs to be done, listen, 
you should be able to walk away from your job. You should be able to walk away from your family. You should be able to walk away from your hobbies. You should be able to walk away from your skill set. You should be able to walk away from your feelings of personal inadequacy. You should be able to walk away from any of that to do whatever it is that God is calling you to do. And not only that, but according to what Romans 12 said, you should be building a proficiency so that you always know when it's time to walk away and when it's time instead to stop and play. Because you can enjoy redemption. You can walk in victory. You can taste of the treats of the world without ever being so entrenched to refuse His calling. The Israelites would follow God's lead into the promised land and we must do the same. Indeed, even Jesus did it. And you hear Jesus saying, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. We're living in the middle of a pandemic and there are a lot of Christians who have become fearful that they may die from COVID. There are a lot of Christians who are mourning the loss of family members who have died from COVID and that is tragic, is terrible. We're living in the midst of a booming economy, even though our economy was shredded by months of a stay-at-home order. And yet, if you every corner you drive, you'll see people trying to hire. Now, they might not be hiring enough for people to really live on a, a wage, really take care of their family and kids and whatever, but they're literally trying to feel, I've been, I need to hire a part-time person, and soon probably two, a full-time person, maybe two, at the life station. I can't find them. There, there's not workers to hire. We're living in the middle of a booming economy with absent resources. And you better be ready to leave it. If you started your own business or if you've been promoted 17 times to the position you're in or you're making more money than you've ever made in your life or you're closer to re- being ready to retire or you've got small children who look up to you or ministry to do or people that might come to Christ, it doesn't matter. I hope, just hope, I'm in the place of sharing Jesus with somebody the moment Jesus says, take me home, even though it will be tragic for that person who has not accepted. But that's what I'd like to be doing. We've got to get back to pilgrimaging And you need to think about the things in your life that matter to you. And you need to think about how you take those things in your life that matter to you and submit them to God. Or otherwise, when the hammer comes down the next time and all the plates are broken, you just might be a broken plate in a stack of broken plates. Much damage has been done by the pursuit of earthly desires. It is now time that we learn to truly delight in the fear of the Lord and get back on pilgrimage. This concludes our message. I'm going to pray with you briefly and then we're going to have the praise team come and lead us in a closing song and maybe you have something to deal with today as I'll pray for wisdom and discernment for us that we can figure out what that is. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this word. Ironically, it being written before Jesus came the first time 
and prophecy never failing, it gives us a very clear and accurate picture of what it would be like when Jesus would come. And now that he has come and had his impact, and it's not that he will have that impact. He has already struck the world. He has so struck the world that we are able, if we are willing to believe, we are able to have a way out. We're able to experience redemption. We're able to walk in victory. We're able to find truth. We are grateful. But with our fleshly nature and our willingness to embrace the things going around us, it's so easy for us to get frustrated, so easy for us to get angry, so easy for us to get attracted, so easy for us to get wrapped up in something that seems like it would be a lot of fun. And there are things in this world that are meant to be a lot of fun. In fact, fact, the scripture says these things were given to you to enjoy. And so, yes, walking in victory, we can enjoy them. But at the same time, in enjoying them, they can never begin to impact or draw our hearts away from you. That would be idolatry, and that would be wickedness, and that would put us in the line of when the world is struck that final time when it all settles and everyone will know who's in pieces and who remains. We can wind up in the wrong group. Even though we've claimed the name of Jesus, Lord, Lord. Even though we've done miraculous things. Lord, I'm asking you to help us get back on the pilgrimage today. Help us file spiritual papers of divorce with anything that is in our life that is keeping us from being ready for your purposes. Lord, help us deny what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. Sometimes we hear that people just don't want to hear. We hear people get upset with us because we try to share the gospel with them. We hear that people are so busy. We see the people rushing here and there and doing this and that and needing to be elsewhere. And we use those things as excuses for why we can't entreat them to come to know you. But let us believe this truth that there are people in our lives yet who would join the pilgrimage, who would leave this place for the promised land at your first beck and call. They will believe in God. They will believe in Jesus as the way of salvation. They believe in hell and they don't want to go there. They just need somebody who's on the pilgrimage to invite them to come along. I pray, Lord, that we will learn to not get entrenched, not get wrapped up, not get tied in, not get distracted, but rather focus on you and the things of the kingdom. I don't want to be like those who get destroyed. I want to be like those who get saved. pray this in Jesus' precious name. Ask the praise team to come forward and lead us in our closing hymn. This will also be a hymn of invitation. If you are here today and you need to respond in some way, you can come forward to the front of the room. If you are concerned about it, here's the great blessing. I have had and by God's grace defeated COVID, so I cannot give it to you because that is long gone for me for a couple of three months. So praise God for that. But if you want to respond, you're welcome to do so. If you would rather respond from right where you're sitting or right where you're standing, you can do that too. And if you say, look, I realize I have become entrenched, 
to the world, uh, or there's something that I'm tied to, or something I would have a hard time leaving if Jesus came again, um, then you repent of that today, you repent and turn to God today, and then you let it be known. Publicly profess and say, I am allowing God to be first. I hear God calling on my heart. I'm allowing him to be first. Trust me, the job won't get you there. Nothing else will get you there. But Jesus can get you there. Would you stand with us and sing this song and then you respond if the Lord's laid on your heart to do so either by coming forward or by waving your hand in the way is fine. If you're online right now and you've watched this on Facebook Messenger, or if you're listening to it on the podcast, then I, I sincerely ask you to take it very seriously. God desires to have a personal relationship with each one of us, and He has prepared for us a tent beyond this tent, a place to go home to, a place that is our home. And we are not following the laws of this world. We are following the laws of His world. We are not judging by what we see or what we hear. We are judging by His standards, His commands, and His call on our hearts and on our lives. And we will go forward with Him or we will not go forward at all. And so I entreat you today to agree with the Lord. Ignore me if you would. That's up to you. But hear what God would have to say. I ask Brother Aaron to close us out in prayer today. Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the ability to still gather here and have worship in person when a lot of churches are shut down. And I thank you for our health. Most of us are still in good health through this pandemic, and, and that those of us who have been sick have recovered in a pretty timely manner. I pray that you would continue to protect us and help us to grow. And closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll take a few minute break, maybe five or six, and then we'll be back in this room for the membership meeting. We do just have two things on the agenda. 
One of those things is the budget, and so that's very important.